Mike says, I hope it's the same one. I just thought I'd pull his leg and say, I've got a whole different one this morning, but I don't. <laughs> Peggy and I are very happy to be here. Uh, it's good to be back in Sonoma County. Uh, we lived in Sonoma County in Rohnert Park for 20 years, and now we're out in uh, the valley, about 20 miles east of uh, Sacramento, over in uh, Folsom. And uh, you know Folsom Prison? There's about 70,000 people trying to keep the legend of Johnny Cash alive. And uh, so it's a great community, but it's a little hot. Uh, you know, we've had many days over 100 degrees uh, this summer, so it's good to be back here. Uh, you mentioned, Mike, uh, the price is right. I think uh, that might be a question my wife has asked several times, uh, is uh, the price really right? But we've uh, had a wonderful marriage. We've been in ministry together for 45-plus years, and we love serving Christ together. And as far as my bio, I just uh, like to be known as a servant of Christ, and that's uh, a great honor for both of us. Uh, we left uh, Sonoma County to go out to uh, another church in Folsom, and that was a stepping stone that God used to eventually get us uh, to China. A couple of months ago, um, Peggy and I attended in Southern California my uh, 50th college reunion. And I was uh, telling Peggy before we went, I said, honey, I have no idea what we're going to do hanging around with all these old people. <laughs> and then one morning I looked in the mirror and I said, I don't think I'm going to have a problem with this. And then we got down there and met some of my buddies. I played football, and they reminisced on some plays, et cetera, et cetera. And then driving back, I looked at Peggy and said, you know, honey, I never realized how many wonderful memories I have of my college years. I said, but the problem is I can't remember what they are. <laughs> so we're getting to that age, I think. Well, it's a delight to be here. The last time Peggy and I were here was... Uh, over New Year's weekend, so that's about eight months ago, but it's wonderful to uh, be here with you folks again. Let me pray before we uh, begin the message today. Lord, thank you for the privilege of knowing you and the privilege of being able to serve you, Lord. Thank you for your word uh, that is rich and powerful, can uh, hit us right uh, in our soul where we need uh, to be either comforted, Lord, or challenged. Lord, whatever our need is today, that is comfort or challenge, uh, Lord, we pray that you would do your work uh, in us today, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think we all recognize that we live in a terribly busy world. I think the inventors of the computer years ago thought, you know, this is going to make life so easy uh, we're going to go down to a six-hour workday or maybe a four-day work week, but we all know that that is absolutely not true. I mean, some days for me, it just takes a couple hours just to get through my email inbox, and I know that many of you feel the same way. We're just busy, and we crave some alone time, and I know that many of you here Carve out that alone time in your schedule. Maybe it's a, a morning quiet time or maybe a time in the afternoon or evening, whatever it is. But all of us need time to be alone in our thoughts. Um, we use this time to spend in God's word, 
maybe to pray, to do some sanctified planning with God's guidance, to do some strategizing, just to maybe reflect on the blessings that God has given us. But we need that alone time. Uh, Peggy and I try to carve that out into our schedules. And um, next week, we're going to go up to Tahoe and spend a week camping. So that's going to be some time for us to, to just be alone and uh, get away from the pressures of life. But too much alone time is not good. There is a reason why solitary confinement in the prison system is not a blessing, but it's a form of punishment. Too much alone time can be absolutely devastating. Thinking back several years, you remember Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway. Uh, plane goes down, he washes up on a, on a remote, uncharted desert island, and finally the first couple of weeks he's busy learning how to make fire, and then he's got an impacted tooth and he gets that out. And then finally, he just starts to feel just plain lonely. And he notices that a volleyball had also washed up to shore in the wreckage, and it was manufactured by Wilson. So that became his new friend, Wilson. And he drew a little picture of Wilson on the ball, and he would have these one-way conversations with Wilson. And um, after a while, Wilson got washed away at the sea. And again, uh, Tom Hanks went absolutely crazy not having anybody to talk with. It's a devastating thing for us to go through things like that. When I was born, my mother would tell me, Jim, you were born with a baseball glove in your left hand and a football in your right hand. I love sports. As a kid growing up, it was those big three sports. And uh, I ate it, drank it, slept it. I loved particularly football. And uh, it was great. And mom one time said, Jim, you need to get some culture. We're going to go out and uh, let you do some music. We're going to buy a, a horn for you. It turned out to be a coronet, which is a little smaller than a trumpet. And we're going to give you lessons. So I agreed to that. But I kept telling my mom, Mom, Football is culture. You want some other kind of culture. And I want to tell you with the music, I was so bad that when there was a recital or when there was a, a presentation, my instructor always made me put a mute in the end of my horn. And art class was absolutely no different. I never really got past stick figures. And so on the screen, I'm going to show you something that resembled my final day of class. Uh, I could do stick figures pretty well. That's really not mine, but um, uh, sorry for those of you watching uh, by video. You're not going to be able to see the screen, but that's, uh, that's pretty much like my uh, last year of art uh, went. But even though I never learned to draw art, I have come to appreciate some art. And one of my favorite artists is a man by the name of Andrew Wyeth, and he drew this picture called Christina's World. And again, those of you watching aren't going to be able to see this, but it's a famous picture. Maybe some of you have seen it before, but if you look at Christina, she is awkwardly placed on the grass here. 
arms are very thin. It looks like she's got some major physical challenges. And she's looking uphill toward the farmhouse. And if you could imagine the farmhouse, that this was a place of warmth and security and love and forgiveness and acceptance and all of the things that we human beings need in our lives. And here she is on the ground longing for that house, wondering, how in the world am I ever going to get there? Now, imagine that there are some other physically challenged people outside of the painting that Andrew Wyeth drew that are to her right and to her left, and they also are uh, paralyzed or in some way challenged. And then I want you to imagine that a whole bunch of people show up from, uh, from behind the picture, so to speak, and come and gather around the people that are uh, laying there in the grass. And then imagine that somebody gets out there and he says, okay, here's the deal. At the sound of the gun, I want you to start moving. Those of you that uh, have friends here and relatives, you can help them. First one to the farmhouse gets to experience all the blessings in the farmhouse. Again, love and acceptance and all of the joys that uh, a person could have. The gun sounds. The crowd starts moving. Except for Christina. Christina has no friend. Christina will not be to the farmhouse first. She's alone. She's desperate. She's without hope. Well, that takes us to our passage today. Something similar goes on in John chapter 5, so if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. Um, I use my New American Standard quite a bit as well, so I suspect that you probably have one or the other here. So um, I'm going to use the New International uh, today. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll get started, but I'm going to show you another slide here in just a second. And let's just do those first three words in the NIV sometime later. So I'd like to just take a minute and look at a map that I have on the screen sometime later. Where's Jesus been? Okay, so let's bring in that first arrow. And uh, Jesus, if you remember, in John chapter 4, met the woman at the well in Samaria. And you remember the text says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? Most Jews would avoid Samaria. They'd get up to Galilee, they'd come down the Jordan, they'd come up the Jericho Road from Jericho just uh, east of the Dead Sea, 3,500 feet, a steep climb and about 12 miles to get to Jerusalem. They avoided Samaria, but not Jesus. The Father had drawn him there because he knew there would be an encounter, and indeed it was with the woman at the well. And the next arrow, we have Jesus up in Galilee. That's where Jesus heals the nobleman's son. And then a feast of the Jews is coming. And then Jesus moves down with his disciples down the Jordan Rift Valley to Jericho and then up to Jerusalem. So let's look at that. Jerusalem's where that last arrow is. 
And he went there for a feast of the Jews. We don't know what feast could have been Passover. But let's keep in mind, wherever there was a feast, Jerusalem would swell to about five times its normal size. There would be vendors out hawking their wares. There would be people coming from far around to attend the Jewish feast. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. So let's go to the next slide. Again, uh, my apologies for those watching online. This is a picture of first century Jerusalem. Let's bring that first arrow in. Of course, there's the temple, and it's surrounded by the Temple Mount, something that Herod took great pride in building and in making this a, an even more fabulous structure. And let's go ahead with the next arrow, and that's the Sheep Gate right there as the map is looking west. This is off to the north. And then one more arrow coming in, and there's the pool, actually, Pools of Bethesda. Let's go to the next slide, which gives us a little bit of a closer. If this is a scale model, first arrow again, you see the temple in the background. Next arrow, you'll see the Sheep Gate. Now, right there at the Sheep Gate, was where the sheep were led through to go to the altar of sacrifice by the temple. <coughs> and the sheep pen was somewhere between the sheep gate, and let's go ahead and bring in the next arrow, and the pools of Bethesda. And so Jesus would go up there, and this is probably why this is uh, more than likely Passover. They would be offering a lot of sheep. Jesus would spend time looking at the sheep and walking in that area, knowing that he was indeed the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And uh, the pilgrims would come and purchase a sheep or a lamb from the, from the sheep pen, lead it through the sheep gate to the priest, to the altar. Now there is uh, the pools of Bethesda. Bethesda means... And there's some of the ancient uh, archaeological uh, pictures. Peggy and I happened to be there 15 years ago. You can still see the pools of Bethesda. And uh, that's good on the slide. Thanks. Bethesda means house of mercy. Now, what's going on with this house of mercy? These people are looking for God's mercy. First century Jewish thought was that if you were an invalid or you had some kind of a problem, a blind man, somebody had sinned. We're not just talking general sin as a result of the fall. We're talking a specific sin. You remember the blind man, uh, the Pharisees, who sinned? This guy or his parents. Somehow he's guilty of sin. And so this was a forlorn bunch. They were around the pool in shame and embarrassment and people were judging them, criticizing them for some sin. They may not have known anything about it, but they found themselves in this state. And so they came to Bethesda, the house of mercy, to try to find God's mercy. Uh, Mercy is receiving those things that uh, are being forgiven of things that we have done. Um, and they're coming to seek 
the mercy of God. And that's where Jesus shows up. And uh, as we continue, uh, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or coverings around those pools. Now, the pools, as we look at the archaeology, are about 60 feet long and about uh, 30 feet wide. Uh, to put it into football terms, I can kind of get my bearings a little bit better. It's about 20 yards long and about 10 yards, you know, a first down distance wide. And it was uh, pretty deep. Um, you could swim in it. You could dive into it. And actually, the, um, the whole structure was built around a natural hot spring. You know, kind of like you get up in Yellowstone, where the hot gases are going to bubble up from the crust and, uh, and warm the pool. So it was a naturally heated pool. And there was a tradition, I'll, I'll lead you toward the next verse, which is not included in the NIV because it's a later edition, probably by a scribe, but it's not a bad edition. Uh, it adds to the text something that people were aware of. If you have New America, if you have a, a New American Standard, you've got it in there. But the, the tradition was that when the waters bubble, that was an angel that had come down from heaven, and the first one to get to the pool gets to be healed. And of course, it was a tradition, not actual fact. But it gave them hope, except for this guy that Jesus is going to encounter here. Verse 3, and there is a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, and they were hoping for the moving of the waters and to get there first. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now let's kind of draw a picture of this man with his history. It doesn't say he'd been an invalid from birth, but probably, I'm just going to assume this guy had maybe 50 years old, and somewhere in his teen years or later, he had done something that may be an accident that had caused him to be an invalid. Not sure, just surmising. But let's imagine that during the first, um, the first many years that he was uh, paralyzed, um, he would live at home and his parents would take care of him. And then um, all of a sudden the parents pass away. And then brothers and sisters try to care for him and all of a sudden they just get tired or they've got other things to do. They take him to the pool of Bethesda. And there he is at the time when Jesus comes into the pool area. He is there, and he's alone. And let's go to the next text. He's been there for 38 years. In verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for some time, and he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, that really goes to the heart of the entire issue. Do you want to get well? I mean, it's a question that maybe we need to ask ourselves, or maybe we have some friends that you're wondering, do they really want to get well? It may not be a physical infirmity. It may be other things. Do you want to get your life together? Do you want to make things different? 
Do you want to do something different with your life? And some people will respond, no. I like the way I am. I like the way people reach out to me and care for me. I really don't want to be healed. Well, this man, what did he want? He wanted to get to the pool first. Um, but Jesus is really going to the heart. And the man says there in verse 7, Sir, I have no friend, I'm going to add that word, to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. Think of the desperation this man felt. I never get to the pool first. Someone always gets there ahead of me. Now we need to ask, and this is a unique thing about Jesus' ministry, why he didn't just go into the pool of Bethesda and just move his hand across from left to right. All of you be healed. Jesus never did ministry like that. It was always individual to individual. And it was no different in the pool. <clears throat> and he stopped by this one man. As Jesus had it, as the Father had a divine appointment for Jesus in Samaria, the Father had a divine appointment for Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. And it was this man. Why was Jesus drawn to him? I'm surmising, in addition to the Father's leading, he noticed he had no one else, he had no friend. Now, let me ask about you and me. First of all, there may be some people here that just feel alone. Um, you don't have to be alone to feel alone. You can feel alone in a crowd. Maybe you feel like no one cares. No one understands. But if that's not you, then maybe you know of someone or have run across someone who is in that state. They are alone. They have no friends. Uh, they have no one to reach out to them. I remember years ago, and this could go back 40 or 50 years, something from the Billy Graham crusade, a, a note from a lady whose body they found in her apartment some, a week later, and there was a note that she had written. She'd been dead for a week or so. No one came. No one cares. Maybe God's calling us to be, surely is, the hands and feet of Jesus for those who have no one. Well, Jesus, in response, he says, don't worry about the pool. Verse 8, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, when you think about it, <clears throat> is this a command or is it an invitation? You know, it's really a command. I mean, you think of the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Invitation or command? We're called to obey. We are called to accept the invitation to come to Christ and to repent of our sins. But it's more than an invitation. It's a command. If you want eternal life, you have to do this. And so to this man, 
Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, why would this man do this at Jesus' command? I don't know. There's just something about Jesus. Something in his voice, something in his eyes, something about his presence that compelled action. And so let's imagine what happened. The man said, okay, I've not walked for 38 years, but here it goes. He rolls over, gets his legs underneath him, pushes up with his arms, and stands up. And remember the next part of the command. Jesus says, stand up, which he just did, and now pick up your mat. And I'm sure this was a moment of truth for this man because I would have said, Jesus, listen, I'm standing up. Let me walk first. And if I can get around the mat at least once without falling back onto my mat, then I'll pick it up. No, no. Pick up your mat. You ain't going back there, buddy. You're leaving it behind. Pick it up and then walk. Isn't that what faith is? We obey Jesus' command. Maybe he's calling some of you here to do something, and you've been putting it on the back burner or on the shelf. Stand up. Leave the past behind. Pick it up and then throw it away because you're not going to need it anymore. And then walk. Well, that's exactly what the man did. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day, why does Jesus do this? The day on which he took the, this took place was the Sabbath. You know, Jesus is always trying to demonstrate that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't made for man, you know, and for him to be able to keep all of his traditions and that kind of stuff. And so, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath, sorry. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. Well, the Jews had 39 classifications of work. Everything from could you pick up a needle to the number of steps you could take. 39 classifications of work. And the prohibitions outnumbered the permissions, you know, at least 10 to 1. These are the things you can't do, which was a truckload and maybe a handful of, these are the things you can do. Remember, you could pick an, you could get an animal, rescue an animal out of a pit. That was okay. That's your livelihood. But they condemned Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath, and that's what they're doing here. Things you can do, but you can't heal this guy on the Sabbath. So Jesus and the Sabbath and the whole issue of work is now coming up. The man who was healed in verse 13, oh, pardon me, uh, 12. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? 
And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd for some time. Isn't that interesting? The man did not know his name. He just knew that somebody cared. Maybe that's like us. We don't need to be identified when we reach out and minister to somebody. Sometimes people like to see their name in lights. Caregiver of the year or whatever. Um, Jesus wasn't worried about that. And you and I don't need to worry about that either. 14. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now we say, okay, how was this man sinning? Now here, we can only surmise, we can only make conjecture. I don't think Jesus was referring to something in his childhood that maybe caused his paralysis. You know, maybe he was stealing or something and he fell off a roof or whatever. I don't think Jesus was doing that. I think it was more about attitudes. Uh, I don't need God. I need the pool. Um, maybe he was angry at God. Maybe he was angry at people because nobody was there to be with him. So maybe it was uh, the, the sin of a bad attitude and I mean, let's face it, we can get that too. Um, simple commands that the New Testament has for us. Let's maybe just think about them for a minute. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word that's good for edification and encouragement for the need of the moment. How many of us use our tongues as a weapon? Or then further on down in Ephesians 4, I love this, be kind to one another. Someone once said there's a lot of truth in the church, but not a lot of kindness. Paul goes on, tender-hearted. Do we have a tender heart toward others? That's what Jesus expressed to this man. And then do we forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us? These are the things, these are the beautiful qualities of followers of Jesus. We've experienced his forgiveness, and now we extend that to others. We extend his mercy to others. We extend our care to them in Jesus' name. So he said, don't sin. You know, live a life of righteousness. How many times did Jesus say after he healed, go and sin no more. Get your life right. The man went away and told the Jews, hey, I found out his name. It was Jesus who had made him well. Now he's got a name with it. Don't you love that name? Thank you, Mike, for playing so many songs with Jesus' name in it. There's just something about that name. I won't try to sing for you. My church in Roner Park would actually pay me if I didn't sing. Uh, <laughs> Um, but there is something about that name. Uh, the name of Jesus. It's above all other names. And verse 16, so because Jesus was doing those things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him 
And Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. This did not sit well with the religious police. He called God his father. And he said, my father is still working, and so am I. You think, how could he be working? Well, God's creative work ended at creation, the end of creation. But God's involvement with his creation has not stopped. Uh, On the Sabbath, there's still accidents, there's still tornadoes and floods and all kinds of things. New people die on the Sabbath and babies are born on the Sabbath and don't tell that mother she's not supposed to go into labor because that's too much work. Um, The Jews just had all these rules and regulations that strangled them. I suspect that if you decide to follow God's leading, whatever that might be, you may get criticized. Um, you, may, uh, you may have somebody try to steal your joy in what you know you're being obedient to. Now, we never had anybody try to steal our joy, but uh, when God was clearly leading us to China people would raise their eyebrows. Are you guys crazy? You want to go to China and teach for three years and all that? Um, You know, it turned out to be one of the most amazing times of our life and ministry together. And it's still ongoing as we are still watering many seeds of many students. And we have been privileged enough to see the harvest of a few students who will become some of China's future leaders. We are blessed with that. So don't let people try to steal your joy. If God is leading you to do something, uh, then you go ahead and do it. But God is still working. Let me close with this thought. Some of you here maybe sense, whether in your own life or in the life of others, that God is (laughs) maybe silent, maybe not there. Maybe he doesn't care. You feel that God isn't working. Peggy and I have loved ones that we pray for often. I think you do too. Children, grandchildren, friends, relatives, situations. And sometimes you sense that your prayers are just hitting a brick wall. But let me tell you, Jesus says it clearly. My father is still working. And I'm working too. Believe that. Let's live with that confidence that God is still working and he's still working in your life and in mine. He is not through with us yet. He's working out his plan in us. And let's believe it. And let's walk in faith obedient to his commands, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to extend his love to all who need it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this 
story of this amazing encounter that Jesus had at the pool of Bethesda. And Lord, maybe there are some here that are looking for mercy. That God would not give them what they deserve. Lord, let them be surprised by grace that you would give them something they don't deserve, that none of us deserve, and that's salvation. That's the forgiveness of sins. God, if there's anyone here that needs that today, let us just confess that now. Lord, I just dumped that whole truckload of sin at the foot of the cross. You promised to forgive me. I lay that before you now, Lord, and ask your forgiveness. And Lord, for the rest of us here today, teach us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to reach out to the lonely, the disenfranchised, those that feel that no one cares. And Lord, in our dark hours, <clears throat> let us also believe <coughs> that you are still working. You're not silent. You're not inactive. You are still working. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's time for us to come to the Lord's table.